0: Hi, this is Ken Feith with the Metro Archives, and thank you for listening to Back in the Day. Today we're going to have a very special program for you. When we were at Green Hills with the Archives, when it was there, we had a series of exhibits based on themes, based on things that the Archives had that we could kind of highlight. And we would bring in either an expert in the field or someone that experienced that, and we set up a panel discussion and let them talk about it. And one of the most successful we had was Nashville baseball. And we went out and had found uh, old Nashville Vol players, and we found the Nashville Elite, which was the African-American team here. Found a couple people for that, and one of those guys is what I'm going to talk about today, uh, Jim Zapp. When I first met him, I called him and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. We want to put together a, a panel discussion and have you all talk about your days in uh, baseball. And he said, sure. And he said, meet me at the um, what was then the Baptist Hospital uh, Physical Therapy Gymnasium. And I'm thinking, I'll drive over there. And this is a guy, you know, past 80. And so he's probably doing some knee therapy or something, you know. So I get there. I say, hey, I'm looking for Jim Zap. And I pointed to this guy that was on the bench press. He was on the bench press, and he finished. He stood up, and he towers over me and says, hi, I'm Jim Zap. And I couldn't believe it. He's 6'4" and probably at that time still around 200 pounds. I mean, this was a big old guy. And so he uh, agreed to come out. And when we did, before we did the panel discussion, we interviewed these guys. And this was in 2006, so it's a while back. But when we interviewed them, we put them in a room to the side, and we had an interviewer that knew a lot about baseball, and he would ask questions to kind of pull out their experiences. So what you're going to hear, the interviewer might be a little faint, but the voice you're hearing is Jim Zapp. Uh, Jim played on the um, Nashville e He was born here in Nashville in, in 1924. And he picked up his uh, baseball career in the U.S. Navy. He volunteered for the Navy, and he was put on the baseball team. And it just went from there. He played with uh, the Negro Southern Leagues, uh, the Atlanta and Black Crackers, uh, with the Birmingham Black Barons, and then went on to uh, a very nice career with baseball ending in about 1955. And so what you're going to hear today is Jim Zapp talking about his experiences. And unfortunately, uh, Jim is gone now, so this is a very cherished thing for us because we, we have him recorded. So today you're going to be hearing the audio version of uh, the interview with Jim Zapp.
1: The ballplayers in Pearl Harbor, all the great major league ballplayers were signed to Hawaii uh, for, morale, for morale builders. And they had the greatest ball players at that time in the Major League Baseball, was stationed in Hawaii, in the Army and Navy. Jordan Marjorie was stationed in the 7th Air Force in Hickam Field in Pearl Harbor. I think I'm getting off track now, but I'm just no, going. Uh, they had always picked the Navy All Star team to play the Army All Star team, a best four out of seven in Iowa, in Furlong Field. Field was named after Admiral Admiral Furlong. And I'm sitting on the bench, you know, I'm not going to play. But the Navy, field of the probably one of the greatest teams ever in the field, probably. They had both Dickey both Dickie boys catching. Bill Dickey was the manager. His brother, George Dickie was the catcher. Then they had another boy who played at the National when I was a kid by the name of Marvin, Marvin Feldman. He was the catcher. Then on first base, they had Johnny Myers. Second base, they had John Luca Della. They had shortstop, Wee Reese. And Phil Rizzuto played third base. Then they had, in our field, they had Dominic DiMaggio in center field, Barnum McCoskey in left field, and the named name of Joe Grayson in right field. And many the pitchers they had just outstanding. Uh, uh, Virgil Trucks, he, he started the first game. Virgil Trucks pitched against Johnny Bezer in the first game. Johnny Bezos is a national boy, you know. He was in the Army. But the Army team had, I, I can name every ball player they had <laughs> all, all these years. They had a boy catcher from the name was Charlie Silvera from the Yankees. They had Ferris Fain playing first base, Dario Lodigiani playing second base. Uh, Joe Gordon played shortstop, because they had a, they had a third baseman by the name of Bob Dillinger from the St. Louis Brown playing third. Then they had Joe DiMaggio playing center field, Walter Juddick playing right field, and Mike McCormick from the Cincinnati Reds playing left field. The uh, they were supposed to play best four out of seven. The Navy beat them four straights. So Admiral Nimitz told him he wanted to play the full seven games because the uh, military people didn't so much, you know, big crowds. So the Navy beat them seven straights. And the Army had a great team with the Navy, best team. Anyway, uh, Admiral Nimitz tried to get the St. Louis Cardinals to come play for the World Championship. St. Louis Cardinals turned it down. They will not be embarrassed. That was that was the kind of team they had there then. Now, getting back to my career, Did, 19... you, get in, did you get into that any of those games? Did you get into any of no, those games? No, no. <laughs> you all the best? I just said, look at that, look at that. No, uh, them, 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 them two guys, from my, them, three guys on my team was on that team. Juan McCloskey, John Lucadella, and Hugh Casey. Do you remember the story about Hugh Casey? Mm-hmm. In the 1941 World Series against the Yankees, Casey was pitching for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they had a catcher by the name of Mickey Owens. You ever heard of Mickey Owens? Yeah. They have a baseball school named after him in Missouri. Anyway, Tommy Henry, Henry was the batter for the third out. Casey had two strikes on Henry. On the next pitch, pass ball by Mickey Owens. Henry gets on. Barjo comes up. Everybody, they beat the Dodgers for the World Series. And I remember that real well because I was still about 16, 17 years old at the time. And uh, in 1949, when I went to spring training with the Chicago American Giants, I never did feel like the guy that managed the team was giving me a fair shake. So I asked him for my release, give me my train found home. So he did. I went back home back to Nashville. And during that time they had two good semi-pro teams here, called the Morocco Stars and uh, the Nashville Stars. So I came back and joined the uh, National Stars, who was owned by Mr. William Sue Bridgeforth. But the owner of the American, um, of the Morocco Stars, whose name was Ted Acklin. He had a boy playing first base for him, who was my childhood brother, buddy from North Nashville. His name was Clarence Davis. We called him Gable. So he, just, he said Gable after me. He told Gable to tell me that he'd give me the same thing Sue was giving me. Plus, I automobile year round. So, I, I jumped from the Nashville Stars and went to the Morocco Stars. And I think that year was one of, the, one of the best teams ever come out of Nashville. We had another boy from the Eli Giants. He was coming through here. He was going, Eli Giants would send him someplace to play with somebody else. But I talked to him and stayed in Nashville played the Morocco Stars. So, we, uh, we, had, we traveled just about as much as the the old Negro League team did, all through the South. And we only lost one ball game all the year, and the Birmingham Black Browns beat us that one in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, beat, uh, beat us three, five to three. In Tuscaloosa, they had a good good ball team. Something some, some was jerking there. You're yeah, doing
2: pretty good, Coach. You're <laughs> doing
1: great. It takes me a while to go through this career. Oh, I
2: know it, that's really good. Cool. Maybe we can see how far we
1: get this time. And- <laughs> Stand, I bet you it's like you're not having too bad a time. <laughs> right. I, miss, I miss something I can go back and come think oh, yeah. yeah. Was, Mr., was Mr. Bridgeforth mad at you for changing teams? Not mad at me so much, he was mad, mad at the owner, the owner. I think they liked a lot of, they a lot of friendship about it. So, Coming yeah, back on now?
2: Yeah. Sure. Could you have beaten the balls with that team?
1: We give them a good play. One the only thing but we wouldn't have been as deep, deep in pitching. But we had that time At that time in 1949, we had one of the greatest left-handers that would come out of Nashville. I don't know if anybody else ever told you about him or not. My name was well, What about Searcy. At, at, that, at that time, he was 17 or 18. He was about, about Willie Mays' age, a left-hander. And uh, after I left here and everything, during this time, he didn't, he didn't drink any alcohol at all. Didn't do much running around at all. We were real close buddies, And uh After I left here, he got started drinking. But Baltimore had bought, had bought his contract, and uh, he, was, he was supposed to leave and go someplace to join one of the Baltimore farm teams, and, and they sent him his train money and everything. But he spent it, you know, squandered the money and wouldn't show up. So finally, he just lost out. But he was—he was, he was a great pitcher, and uh, I think that's the home run out of 1949 that's, that's the home run that I hit in Sufferdale that a lot of people still talk about you know I don't know if you're familiar with Sufferdale or not but the straightaway center field it was up on a dump we call it the dump right I had a rise had about a 10 foot wall on top of that dump and over, over, above the wall was a big giant school board and I hit one over top of that giant school board and that's the one that a lot of old ball players still talk about because all the old guys who saw it are dead now, most of them. I think Sadie Bunch about the only guy around now that saw it. He said, it took one hop in Charlie Dickens' restaurant. Well, see the exaggeration, of Charlie Dickens' place was down on, was down on Second Avenue. you <laughs> It in a ball. There was a Bill John Bill on, on the corner right there. With, uh, Kent. An old Major League Ball player had that Bill John by the name of Cloud McCullough. That's why the ball hit. It wasn't Charlie Dickens. It's called Charlie Diggle up the Jefferson Street Bridge. And but that's the home run they used to talk about a lot. But uh, I've had quite a few long home runs. 1946, we played in, played in Louisville. We had a couple, there was a couple of boys from Nashville playing with Louisville. They called him the little Black Colonels. And this boy played center field for him by the name of Clayton Cotwright. He was I was in school together. But every time I played against Kurt he would tell the pitchers how to pitch to me. And I'd hit the longest home run ever hit, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, they had a big giant scoreboard a little bit to a parkway field. And I hit one over that, bowl, over that scoreboard. And the guys who was connected with the white the team down little said they'd seen all the, all the greats come through there but uh, they never seen one hit like that before. And uh, that was one of my longest home runs, I guess. I think I got my, I think I got my power from uh, when I was in high school during the summer I worked at Bush at Bush at brickyard. You probably never worked at the brickyard. Go
2: ahead.
1: It was rough work. You had to be a, you had to be strong to stay there. My brother started before I did. First time he left, he never did come back. <laughs> but uh, all, doing, all doing, the all doing worked at the brickyard. All the guys from Northern Nashville. So in 191949, we had a good team with uh, the Morocco Stars. But in 1950, Mr. Bridgeforth. Bought the Nashville Curz from Dr. Jackson. So he changed the name to Nashville Stars. So he put all the ball players, good ball players from the Morocco Stars and his team together to form a professional team. And we had an outstanding team in 1950. And in 1951, he bought the Baltimore really like Giants and uh, kept most of the same ball players. And I manager with a fellow by name of Horace Parker. So as soon as he saw me, he said, well, Mr. Bradford, I'm a left fielder there. we can go from there. So I was a left fielder. But, so I think 1951 was the best year that I ever had in Negro baseball. At uh, break time. They had what they call the East-West game and Chicago All-Star game. And I think, you know, I think all the ball players who I played against and played with, that I should have been unanimous choice to go to the East-West game. But somehow, if Nicholas and for and got some other ball playing in my place, I didn't go. So I got upset again. I quit right there. I said I never played more Nickelodeon baseball. As soon as the guy got on the bus, first thing they just said, where's that? I wasn't there. So I quit. Uh, so during the one, doing the one. a friend of mine, a friend of mine, by the name of Butch McCord we call him, which his name was Clint, Clint McCord. He had spent the 51, 1951 series in integrated ball with Paris, Illinois, in the Mississippi Ohio Valley uh Paris is about 35 miles from Danville, Illinois. So he asked me, would I go to Danville, not, I'm sorry, not Danville, would I go to Paris if, I, if he recommend me? I said, yeah. So he told me what Come was Sarah to ask for and everything. It, it was beyond the limit what they were supposed to pay. So I talked to him over the phone. His name was John Gibbons. Real nice, real nice guy. Good fellow. And he said, Well, what'll it take you to come up here? So I told him what Butch said. He said, Well, well we've never seen you play before. But Butch said you can play, so we'll take his word for it. So I went to spring train with Paris. And I stayed there all year with Paris. And uh I led the league in home runs and set an RBI record that still stands in that league, 136 RBIs. So Butch, Butch was hitting in front of me most of the time. He's was hitting third, I was hitting fourth or fifth, but I set the record in RBIs. So he brags about it all the time now that I never would know, uh, set that record if he hadn't been on base all the time. I said, no, no you never would score all them runs either if I had been my either. <laughs> But well, that's the way it was the Paris. So at the end of the season, I will go back the following season. And during the one I'd borrowed some money from Mr. Gibbons. I think it was about $500. He sent me $500. Then later on, he sent me my unconditional release. He never did tell me why, but I knew why. Because of my personal life. He sent me my release. And I went to... Uh, so I didn't... I didn't, I didn't have no team to go to the following year. But a guy that was, uh, was his general manager, I think, in 1951, had moved over to Danville. And he told me, I don't care about your personal life. If you hit the ball for me, I'll sell you within a month. So I went to spring training with Danville. When I stayed there less than a month, he sold me to Lincoln, Nebraska in, in uh, the Western League. And during that time, Bush was playing with uh, Denver in the same league, and uh, I went out, well, they told me to give me a hundred dollars extra if I get to certain such time the next, day, next couple of days, and I did. But when I got there, they didn't use me either, very little. So I got dissatisfied satisfied about that, and I left the team, went back to Denver. And I stayed there all the, winter, all the summer, kind of got a job, stayed there all the summer. And I went back to Nashville. Later on, well, well before I we went back to Nashville, I, I went to Detroit and took a job at a Ford Motor Company. So I waited on spring training to open because I was supposed to go to spring training with Lincoln. They were, they were training in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. So I, I worked at Ford until time to go to spring training. And I went out to, went out to Corpus Christi. I stayed the whole spring training with Lincoln. So when they broke camp, they decided to leave me with Corpus Christi, who was in—they the, were in the big state league at that time. Uh, so I stayed that through the days. So my owner called me in his office and said, uh, "We have decided that Corpus Christi is not ready for a black boy. So we're going to option you to Odessa, Texas." in the Longhorn League, and I had never heard of Odessa, Texas. So I inquired about it, down the barbershop downtown, everything. So the guy said, man, you don't want to go out to Odessa, there's nothing out there but rouse dicks and (laughs) tumbleweeds." So (laughs) I took my train fare and went to come back to Nashville instead of going to Odessa. So I got back to Nashville and couldn't get suitable employment. Uh, I just had married and had a little baby girl on the way. So uh, couldn't get a job. So I called uh, Odessa and told them I was ready to report. And th- at that time, they had to rush the fool. So they recommended me to another team in the league, in Big Spring, Texas, about 40 miles, about 60 miles from Odessa. I had never heard of Big Spring, but I was kind of hurting for money at that time. So uh, I decided to report to Big Spring. So the guy on the team sent me my train fare, and I went out. He met me at the train station. His name was Bob Pepper Martin. I will never forget it. He met me. He met me at the train station, and the team was playing in San Angelo. And I was about I was about halfway out of shape at that time. and I got heavy fat, so he. He picked me up at the train station and took me to San Angelo where the team was playing. He was the player manager and on. So he put me in the, start, the starting lineup to play right field. And I could see you could sit in the I could sit in the dugout, it was so hot, and see little monkeys jumping up out on the ball field it was so hot. We had we had uh, ice cold, lemonade pouring on us and everything, you know. I didn't know anybody on the team. Uh, I guess, I guess somebody was on my side. The first time up, his guys didn't do anything about me. Uh, the post and pitcher didn't do anything about me. And uh, first time up, I hit a home run on the old center field fence. First time up. And about the third or last time up, I hit another home run. So right off the bat, Pepper Martin bought my contract from Corpus Christi because he had turned down. They were. And they wanted to take a look at me before he decided. So he didn't, he didn't take me on those conditions. He had t- told him, if I like him, I'll buy his contract. So he bought my contract. So I stayed at Big Spring the whole season. And, uh, I didn't join the team until June the 6th. And I set a new a, a new record at Big Spring for home runs with 32. And, uh, the last day of the season, I had 31 home runs. The record, the record was 31. I had 31. And I was warming up on the sideline with my ball players, my teammates. And one of the guys hit me in the eye with the ball, my right eye, my eyes swollen, swollen. So Pebble looked at my eyes and he knew, he knew 32 home runs was, was the record. And he said, you have to play one eye because you're going to play. <laughs> so I did. About the second time up, I hit the home run and set a new record, 32 home runs. And uh, so I finished with Big Spring that year. And uh, I went back to Nashville and I couldn't get a job, no job in Nashville, was suitable. So I went back out to Big Spring and Pepper got me a job waiting around the theaters after the baseball season started. In the meantime, I sent for my wife and little baby. So, big uh, spring training that and everything that started there the next season was. They changed the name from big spring Bronx to big spring Cards and Cops. because uh, Cards and refinery put up the first $10,000 on the of salaries. So they changed the name to Cards and Cops. So during that time, well, I was playing outfield, so Pepper decided to move me to first base, which I didn't like. Didn't like it, so I jumped again. <laughs> so I went, where I was rooming, I, was rooming. I didn't show up at the ballpark for about two weeks. So finally he came out, and uh way I was staying, said we traded you to Port Arthur, Texas in the big state league. So. Uh, they traded me for 500 dollars I believe, with 500 dollars and two ball players. So when I get out to Port Arthur, they sent me him a plane fair. When I get out to Port Arthur, one of the guys who they traded me for was still there. And he was one of my old teammates from Bloomingham Black Bat, named name was Jimmy Newberry. He was still he was still the Port Arthur pardon and uh, taking his time by going to Big Spring, but he finally went. So I finished the season at, at Port Arthur. And before I left Big Spring, I had 29 home runs. So I went played the last month at Port Arthur and had eight more home runs. Eight doubles and one triple. So I had a pretty good season that year. So at the end. not take me long enough to
2: thought.
1: I'm doing okay? No, you're right. <laughs> Don't tell me that. I know, I've got so many. I've got so
2: many follow-up questions
1: that I'm not going to have time for. I've got, I've got started going quickly with things I need to ask you. Uh, tell me what, what you can do when you've go. uh, well, no, got to go. No, I've got to break them, take a break from 2 o'clock and drop it in. Can, can, you, can, can you come back? I'm going to say you can take okay. Well, Mr. I mean, Okay. Oh, I mean, still roll. No, I left them
2: in the car. Oh, it's was, it was 10 till now. All
1: right.
3: It's 10
1: till 2 now. It, yeah, it's 15 till. 15 till 2 o'clock, it's Okay, I, I can't put them in the for 2 o'clock. I go out in the car put them in. I let them in the car. So you didn't do it now? No, okay, I didn't do it one time. Okay, um, okay, so, so you, had a good, you had a good year at Fort Arthur. And, uh, <laughs> back on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. At, the end, at the end of the season, I came back to Big Spring so at the, at the end of the season, uh, the Cleveland Indians bought the uh, pull-off team. And the way I understand it, they released everybody on the team, released everybody, but me and another ball player by the name of Jim Kirby, who was also from Nashville. He was our center field, white, white boy. He and I are still great friends. He still lives, lives here in Nashville. So, but they, they were going to cut my salary. So at that time, I had a chance to go to uh, – go to work, civil service for the Air force. Uh, The civilian personnel manager at that time was a great baseball fan. And he had heard I was going to uh, quit baseball. So he sent for me and asked me how would I like to go work for civil service in the athletic department. So I did. I took the, the civil service test, me and two more boys, two more men. So we had three guys to choose from there was a Lieutenant Sweeney who was a recreation director. He was doing interviewing and doing the hiring. At that time he had the NCIC of the gymnasium with a boy from North Carolina by the name of Bill Bill Pascal. So we told Lieutenant Sweeney after, after Lieutenant Sweeney had an interview with all three of us, he says, after the man you want. not So uh, Lieutenant Sweeney hired me in civil service. So I stayed out in Big Spring. Uh, well, my wife hated it. Like I said, dust, dust, dust storms, sand storms, and you know, mosquitoes. Mus- she hated Big Spring. So I, every day I'd tell her, well, we're going to tell you another year, and then we're going to leave and go back to Nashville. So my wife friends at Big Spring tell me, you're not going to leave Big Spring because Big Spring will grow on you. So I stayed out there 27 years <laughs> until the base closed. So I went to work for Uh, I could have retired at that that time, but I accepted a job at Fort Rock, Alabama. So I stayed there two years. Then I finally retired. And while there, my children's mother uh, became ill and lived four days. She died in 1982. So, and when she died, I I went to work for her. North North Northrop Aircraft Industries in, in Fort Rucker. I stayed there for a little while. In the meantime after that I met a, another girl from Nashville who I fell in love with. So we got married in 1984. That's uh Era Muffin Zap. So now we've been married uh, twenty-two years. And my children, mother and I were married uh, twenty-nine years. So I've been married all my life. And we had three wonderful kids, James Jr., Richmond, and my little daughter named Jennifer. And all three kids retired from military with over 20 years in 2003. The girl that retired from the Navy, the youngest boy retired from the Navy, and James Jr. retired from the Army. So that's, uh, that's just about the story of my life. But speaking of Pepper Martin, I will never forget Pepper Martin, who owned the big spring team. After, after Pepper left baseball, <laughs> he, was managing a, he was managing a bowling alley down in Ballinger. It was Ballinger, he was San Angelo for a while. We left there and went to manage a bowling alley for Mickey Mountain in Dallas. But he left Mickey Mountain and came back to San Angelo to managing a bowling alley there while he was there, he, he uh, invented a, a special-made bowling ball called a Columbia Bowling Ball, made of some special uh, synthetic rubber. And at that time, he didn't have that much money, but the owner of the bowling alley was a millionaire. So he put up the money, and they were, put, they were putting out about 20 balls a day in Pepper's garage. So about 15 or 20 years ago, I went to San Antonio, and Pepper took me to his factory, uh, where making golf, everybody was making a bone out of it. Boom, 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 So now he's a multi, retired multi-millionaire, living outside of San Antonio, but we stay in touch. He's kind of in his health a bit now. I think he's about two years older than me, but he's one of the finest guys that I've ever met. And Mr. William Breezeville was one of the finest guys I ever met, and Mr. Ditto Akron was one of the finest guys I ever met, to be honest. But I had some great friends in baseball. I met some great friends in baseball and in the military service, and after I went to work for military service, see, I was a civilian, but all, all the people who worked for me in the civil service with military people and about half of the guys that worked for me years ago still stay in touch with me. This one guy lives in uh, Austin. Uh, he'll call me three or four days a week, sometimes, sometimes seven days a week, but he and his wife came to see us about a month ago. We really enjoyed him. What uh, well, well, if you're open to it?
2: Take take your break
1: for your drop. Yeah. Um, I've got some things to, to to ask you if you don't mind to uh, sort of fill in some of the
2: things you missed.
1: Or you want to go right. there as a few now? We'll go out. No, whatever you need to do. I, I do have. I, do okay. want to, well, here, I got. Well, I got about. Eight, I got about. I go my watch. I got about eight minutes. Okay,
2: yeah. I I
1: just one. Just one thing. You said
3: something to me about baseball that I do want to get, and that is that some people say it's for the love. But yeah.
1: what did you say? Oh, I, like, I liked baseball. But if they didn't pay me, I, wouldn't, I would not have played. I didn't love it that much. I would have found me a job someplace. If they, if they didn't pay me. See, when I, when I was playing baseball, I left out something too. When I was playing baseball, my highest salary in organized ball was at Paris Illinois for 475. I, never, I didn't come nowhere near that in, in Negro Leagues. But the highest salary, I, the highest contract I ever signed I was supposed to go to San Domingo, which I should I should have had this in the story. Right. Henry Kimber was supposed to go in 53, and I played at Paris in 52. But Kimber and I played together in 51 with the Eli Giants. By the way, he was on the, on this uh, last list that came out for the Hall of Fame. And I think it should have I think it should have gone in there. But I went over there, they sent my 900 dollars a month before I left before I left the States. You could, they, they sent you your last salary, last month's salary. So I just had married and I left that with my wife my wife. And I went on to San Domingo. By the time I got over there, Danville, Illinois, is getting ready to start spring training. So they sent me a letter telling me if I don't to return to the States that they would have me suspended from baseball. So the only way I could get out of that, uh, an old friend of mine who was playing on the opposite team, Alonzo Perry, he and I played together at Birmingham. He slipped me to the airport and got me out of there. bought me a ticket $120, $120, to come back to Yorna down to Danville. But that would have been my highest salary, $900 a month. But they never did that. They never even tried to get the $900 back. I left never to hear from them anymore. So I often wonder what would have happened to me if I stayed over. I don't know. Maybe things turned out for the best. Maybe it could have been better. And by the way, the guy who I was taking his place over there was Willard Brown, went in the Hall of Fame the other day. He played center field with the Kansas City Monarchs. I thought he should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago, too. So you only play thirty-six games. Thirty-six games. Of, thirty-six games. over you play over there. Three, uh, three, three. games a week. He had eighteen home runs in thirty-six games. They called him Home Run Brown over there. And I think he should have been all the Hall of Fame. He was strong. You, you went
2: to to Gaines and Sulphur Dell as a spectator, as you said early, and then played in the you know with the what Nashville Elite Giants. Yeah. What was the difference in the game in the in the white Southern Association games and the and the Eli Giant games and so forth. What how would have been different
1: about it? The game the game itself?
2: Just what you know, if somebody was sitting there up in the press box or just observing, what would they notice like, well this is this way when these folks played, it's
1: this way. The crowds, everything. we 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 had good crowd good crowds of the Nashville balls. When I played with Elijah didn't play in Nashville. Never did. Right? <laughs> when, when you played in Sulphur Dell See, that, during that time, the Nashville Cubs, okay. 1946. What would have been the difference between a, a, a Cubs, National Cubs game, and the National Balls Oh, uh, much, much different. National Balls had a better ball team than us. But now now when I was playing with the Birmingham Elias, the same thing, or more, or, 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 the old Negro League was the betters, better than the Southern League. How,
2: how, would, how would the attendance
1: compare? Attendance? Yeah. Uh, I'll, give you, a good, I'll give, give you a good example. In Birmingham, when I played at the Black Baron, the Whites sit in the bleachers. With no room for them in, in the grandstand. 11 to 11 and 12,000 every ball game. But with Nashville never did draw like that though. Black Baron, Black Baron was just a, a good drawing guard everywhere they played.
2: How
1: much would how much would the Cubs draw? How I many? Oh, 2,000 more, 2-3,000. That's not bad. No, it wasn't bad, 2-3,000. Well, people, people look forward to going to the baseball games during those, those days. Did Whites
2: come to the Nashville to see the national
1: Cubs, ever? Very few. Very few. Be some. Um, Larry Gibb, but he would be there. he owned, the owner of the national ball if would be a few. Now in Birmingham, when uh if the if the white team had it was off, some of the some of the white ball players would come sit in the dugout with us. I remember Walt Drupal, we used to sit in the dugout with us a lot. Big Walt you remember him? Oh yeah. He used to come sit in the dugout with us a lot. But the black brown was the, the main thing in Birmingham. Yeah. You have a full crowd and the wife sitting the bleachers. Did, you know, talk about you know as much detail as you can about about what
2: you know what it looked like going to Softbelt when you're down there in the bleachers, I mean what what did you think about it, about the whole
1: thing? I'm taking when, i I'm, right. well,
2: was it did you go as a young kid, did you go all the time? Was that just what you did when they were in town?
1: When I, when I could slip away from home. So I, still lived, I live, still lived a pretty good ways from Sufferdale. I lived at a, in the 4th Avenue North, below, below Clay Street. At that time, on 4th Avenue, Clay Street was the last street, but now they got a, it was a short street through there, but it never developed. Cass, you heard Cass, that was the last street, but it never was developed. So Clay Street was really the last street. I lived below Clay, down the bottom block. And so how far
2: was that to Sufferdale? Oh,
1: gosh. Uh, well, you know what St. Cecilia is? Yeah. See, that's anything, Clay. How far would you say that was? Two miles? Probably, yeah. about yeah. mi- two miles. About uh, two miles. Now, see, when, when, I, when I was in school, me and my brother and sister, we didn't go to the public schools because my mother was a diehard Catholic. Now, we had to go to all-black Catholic school, which was located... They called it the Fayette now, was Seventh, Seventh and Lee, where the old seal roebuck building is. All that was Catholic School Ground, the Maclin Mother Academy. Right there on the corner was the priest's home, first building, two-story brick. Next door to the priest's home was the church, another beautiful brick. On the other side of that one was the convent for the nuns, two-story brick. On the other side was the elementary school. So we had to We walked all the way from my home to there over three miles every day. Most of the time we didn't have no money to ride a bus. It wasn't about a nickel then, didn't have it. Most of the time we walked, me and my brother and sister, and that's six miles a day to school. Maybe that's why I was so strong too, I don't know. And all types of weather, all types of weather. What did you did you were you the first ball player in your family? I'm no, yeah, I'm the only one. Yeah. Did, was, did, did my brother? You, my brother never cared much about it. He never cared much about it no kind of sports too much. Was, did, was there any relationship with your father and all of this? Was no, he, no, he didn't care about it. Either. No. Uh, no, I just I just looked by myself. I just to I just in, get out of the yard, pitch up rocks, pretend I'm a pretend I'm an ball ball player, hit rocks. With a broomstick, yeah, by myself. Never was allowed to play. Right? Zero. Played basketball. Basketball. That was
2: your sport?
1: Yeah. That's the only sport the school had where I was going. Basketball. I didn't want to go out for the basketball team. At that time, basketball wasn't real popular in Nashville. So basketball was real popular in Kentucky and Indiana. And uh, the coach was got to the team said, his name Mr. Goodner. And I said, Mr. Goodner, I don't want to play that sense of game. <laughs> so we finally got got to up with the basketball team. And the first game I played, I made 18 points, first game. But so we didn't have we our own gym. We, we, uh, we practiced and played all our games at Bethlehem Center. You know where that is? Yes, sir. But we played at the old Bethlehem Center. Was, what was the name of the
2: school you went to
1: on Lafayette? Immaculate Mother, Immaculate Mother Academy. Was
2: it
1: integrated? Or was no, no, it integrated? no, no, no. Yes we couldn't, we couldn't we could not go to Father Ryan, no. We couldn't go to the cathedral. See, we had a lot of nuns called the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. They dedicated their lives to black and Indian missions. We couldn't go to Saint Cecilia. My my daughter and my sister couldn't go to Saint Cecilia. This is where I belong now, I belong to Assumption. You know what Assumption is? Yes, sir. That's where I belong now. Okay. I could go there then, but I couldn't but I couldn't belong. My mother used to go there all the time, but uh couldn't belong. Okay. That's how bad it was. How, what other ways
2: did, it, did segregation... Pay And what other ways did segregation sort of um, appear at that time? Was it just everywhere, or did you manage just
1: a little? Everywhere in Nashville. They had to ride in the back, back of the bus, the back of the streetcar, bus, whatever. They had to ride in the back, right? could go in, you couldn't go into the restaurants down the town. Nothing like that. We know where we know where we stood, what we could do and what we couldn't do. You know, uh, when I was in high school, I had a night job in the National Trust Building. It's still there on Union. Get off around close to midnight. Sometimes sometimes walk away home from there before that, to my home. Police were stopping me there one night. You uh, know, they were real nice. But after they stopped that first time, they see me then on that would stop me. But they will not know what a black didn't walk seat that time of night, you know. Bear as hell, and I rode the bus. Well, the bus wouldn't run anymore. The bus stopped running at midnight. Walk will go way home. Well, first, did you have a particular highlight that happened in Dell that you just sort of, that sort of stands out in your
2: mind? Was it in it the mall on the scoreboard, is that it? When I, when
1: I was playing? Yes. I I had quite a few home runs over there. That was just a long one. I had quite a few home runs left field and left center. See, on the other side, left field, on the side left field was a black school, Bellevue School. I had a lot of ball in their yard, in, in, in their yard. Did you
2: ever face Page? Yes, I did. In
1: 1951. He was playing for the Chicago American Giants then before he went back up to St. Louis Browns. Got two years off of him. But uh, I remember one game, the first time I faced him in Sufferdale. Now we had a patch house that night. Well, I know now they did it. he did it intentionally. I was hitting fourth, and Kimbrough was hitting, was hitting third. But he, the first two guys, first and second, if they got on base somehow, he, he, did, he probably did it. He did it intentionally. So he walked to Kimbrough to pitch to me, pitch to me at Doc Dennison, another boy hitting six. He threw me three. I didn't find him fired one. Doc, Doc had faced him before in past years. Doc fired one. Face took him out. and took the other boy out. But I got my first hit off of him in, uh, in uh, Chattanooga. We, next night I we went to Chattanooga. But I hit a changeup with his fastball. I never, I never hit his fastball. You know, I had, I had a real good friend who played with uh, the Monarchs. Now he was my enemy on the ball field, but he and I became great friends. You probably remember him Hank Thompson. Remember him? Yes. Okay, he and I became close friend. So I asked Hank, I said Hank is the major league pitchers thrown hard in Satchel. He said he had thrown hard on Satch Satchel, but the ball don't look as small. It's like a little like a blur. That's how good it was. Well, besides satchel Page, who were some of the other players that <clears throat> the
2: black players that played in Sulphur Dell that
1: the white community
2: knew their names later, but they didn't ever know they played there. Well,
1: well all, all the great teams played there. You don't know, come down and play there. But I, I, I didn't care anything about the black ball players. I didn't know anything about the black ball players myself. I used to pass by there going home from school by Sulphur The ball game was going on. We never we need never to stop and look. But all the greats played there. Josh Gibson, all of them played there. Who did not. you play
2: with in Sulphur
1: that became famous later? Besides Satchel Page? Oh, gosh. Junior, get him, him. You know, he's from Nashville. Campanella. Kimbrell, Doc Dennis, he's a Nashville boy. Uh, his name West, Den- Westley, but we called him Doc. He and I were close friends, first baseman. Uh, Frank Russell, Clowns had some great ball players. You probably heard of Goose Tatum. So he was he was a good, you know, outstanding basketball player. He was also a good, good first baseman. The Clowns, you know, Birmingham. I was playing with Birmingham. We was in the same league with, with the Clowns. And uh, we watch them, we'd say we are playing about seven, eight games in a row. Each night, played clown, go from town to town. And uh, around the fourth or fifth inning, they put, a, put on a show, put a show on. Goose Tatum, and they had a clown called King Tut. And we watch them every night. And we laugh every night, the same thing, but they make you laugh every night. See, Goose, Goose could walk down the street and laugh at Goose, but he had long arms. Long arm and came to it the same way. Well we had we had a lot of fun. How, how did you
2: feel when 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 Sulphurdale just when the balls went out of business and Sulferdale
1: took it out? What at that that time I wasn't living here, I was living in Texas. I think one of the best mistakes they ever made, the city of the city ever made somebody by tearing Dell down. And see, Birmingham is the only Southern League team that still has that, that ballpark. I think, I think Sufferdale should have been a landmark because there was no ballpark in the whole country like Sufferdale. No, no country, no ballpark. I don't know why they tore it down. What they put there, nothing. Parking lots. The people the people are paid to go through Sufferdale now. That hill all the way around it, all the outfield called a dump. <laughs> I never had to play the dump. Never had to play the dump.
2: Did
1: you play in front of the dump or left field? No, I played left field, yeah. I'd have to go up the hill every now and then, but the dump, the dump he had to go, he had to throw off the hill and everything, you know. We had one boy, a natural boy named Hank Atkinson, he learned to play it pretty good. But the guy that had the reputation of playing it better than anybody was a visiting team, in the Southern League, a guy by the name of Emil Mayhoe played with uh, Atlanta Crackers. They said he could play it better than anybody. And all, had some guys could play it. Uh, Gus Douglas could play it, but, but playing on that hill or something. You know, the fly ball come down the hill to catch it. Do
2: you, do you have a particular
1: memory of the first time you ever saw that field? <laughs> first time I saw that field, I was a kid then. You know, I, I didn't pay much attention then. I was just a young kid then. Wasn't, there wasn't even a teenager about ten eleven years old. And how come
2: they didn't
1: want you to play baseball? Is your mom that didn't want you to play? no no she, she didn't care about about me playing, but all the teams were located way out, way out south, see? see? We didn't have no teams out north at all. My my mother was very strict, very strict sometimes. Too strict.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: she, when I was in high school playing basketball, we had some boys my size. Do not do in those days, it's six hundred ninety pounds you'd consider to be boy. So we had three boys like that on our basketball team. So the, the football coach at uh, Pearl, wanted us to come over to Pearl, go play football. So my mother said, no, you're not gonna play any football. You see where you are, you play basketball. You're not gonna play no football. And uh, I, thank her, I thank her every day for that. That's why my legs are still good. I see some guys now who played, played football, can't hardly walk. No. I have a grandson in, in Texas. He's thirteen or fourteen now, I guess. He about twelve. He's playing football. He started to play football, and I went out to see him play. He said, Man, Daddy, I don't like for him to hit me like that." I said, "Champ," his nickname is Champ. I said, "Champ, quit." And he quit playing football. <laughs> he don't play nothing with baseball or basketball or that. So he loves baseball.
2: I had a question. You mentioned that you've never had to really played on any team at all until you're in the service. Never. How 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 is it
1: possible that you could just pick it up like that? I don't know. I don't know. Just just natural ability, I guess. Well, I started out with the, the black team in Iowa, and I started hitting right away. You, you never mm-hmm. faced a pitcher in mm-hmm. your life. I mean. Oh yes, some pitchers blind me, but you don't <laughs> yeah, I, I faced some great pitchers in the in a, in the Negro days. Good gracious, you ever heard of Sam Jones? Sad Sam Jones. Uh, satchel, gosh, old pictures to Kansas City, good pictures, they had five or six great pictures. I'm just trying to picture you as a service,
2: a young serviceman in Hawaii, yeah, for the first time facing a guy, a grown man with a ball, and here you are, and did you just have to use what you observed at Salford Delt?
1: I guess I did, I just, it came natural, I just started hitting. You know, not brag, but I was, uh, I, was I was always a pretty good hitter. He had one guy that old ball player from Nashville. And he died. He died. He did now. Great baseball man. He says he said he always says that was the greatest long ball he'd ever come out of Nashville. Did and you saw him all. Did you play, Did you play
2: neighborhood ball? You know, at all as a kid. Mm-hmm.
1: Game oh yeah. With a tennis ball that night in the neighborhood, went on 6th Avenue and play what they call a one eyed cat one. You have three guys on each team. There's a tennis ball, hit it down the, run, run down the street. Never played not play no baseball at all. Was it, was,
2: it, was it, did it
1: involve pitching the ball and hitting the ball? Yeah. Was it baseball? Bat? Girls were playing too. No, broomstick. Girls were playing too. That's the ball I played. I played a little softball. I played a little softball on the, uh, on the school team, it was softball. That's all. Did you
2: ever go to Hadley Park and watch those ball games?
1: That's where we played. Oh, you mean baseball? Yeah. Yeah, years ago when I was a kid, yeah. I'd heard
2: that they had some big crowds on some. Yeah.
1: Years ago. Now you you probably talking about it in the past years when I was living here. When I was a kid, we used to go out there and watch some of them teams play. They had they had one good team from West Nashville. I can't I can't remember the name of the team now, they had a guy played first base first baseball called Big Six, big strong hitter. But that was that was sound like ball. Do
2: you ever, uh,
1: do you ever dream about baseball when you're asleep? I dream about it now. <laughs> yeah, I dream about baseball. What, what yeah, is, it. What's in your dream about? That- well, I dream about I some of the guys I played with and, and what we have be doing. And how we were hitting. Dream about our manager, Piper Davis. Yeah, I dream about it all the time. I guess because I think about it all the time. Are you ever in your dream? Are
2: you ever
1: in the game? Well, the best of best hit on the team, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: What, what
1: was Roy Campanella like? Campanella was a, a real good guy. Okay. I know the first, first, pitch I, first pitch I faced with that Eli Giants. I was a youngster, you know, and uh, his name was a uh, great knuckleball pitcher. Can't remember his name right now. Yeah, the Bonnie Mars. Cam told me, he said, try to swing the first pitch because it's going to be a fastball. But after that, you're going to see that knuckleball. And he had one of the greatest. But he threw me, he threw me a fastball and I popped it up. But I, I didn't want to swing his knuckleball. Cameron Elder had a habit in the little bus we had, that Eli's had, he liked to ride on the wheel, on the back wheel, after the seat, special trip, special seat. But when he wasn't kitchen, he played played outfield, played left field. But he was a he was a good guy. Campanella was. When he uh after after he when he got got hurt, he had a liquor store in uh in Harlem. You uh, know, when I'd go visit my sister who was living in New York, I'd always go by the liquor store to see him. He'd be downstairs, and I'd go downstairs where he was in a wheelchair. You uh, know. He didn't live too far too far from my sister in Saint Albans. He lived in Saint Albans, New York. And uh, my sister lived in South Ozone Park. Right together, so I'd go by the house to see him. Then I saw him after he got I saw him in uh, spring training. He was a uh, he was on the uh, Hall of Fame committee. I see him down in Florida. Then, well, he uh, before I before I moved to Alabama, he sent me. A, Nice pitcher. Because I stayed in touch with him all the time, but I lost—I lost the pitcher in a fire, in home, in home fire.
2: Where did he? Where did he live when he was in Nashville? Well,
1: did he, did he I didn't. I, I never did play with him in Nashville. Oh, okay. I played with him in Baltimore.
2: I, somehow I understood that he lived here
1: at some point. Oh yeah, before my time. Because well, he was he wasn't about 15 years old then when, he, when he joined e lights before my time, before I started playing. What about?
2: What about? Uh, junior Yellow.
1: <clears throat> Did you get to know him pretty well? Oh yeah, Gideon lived in the East nice. He, uh, his, his grandmother raised him. He, you, you see Gideon walking over the, over the bridge coming to town most of the time. I used to go see him all the time uh, when he come to when I was living in Alabama. i go see him when he come to uh, Atlanta. He said, I went by the same I was going TDY from uh, Fort Rucker to, uh, to Fort Meade, Maryland. And I stopped through Atlanta to see him at his hotel right after that, right after he died, he died right after that on the, on the next trip back home.
2: Looking back and remembering him, was there something that separated him from, I mean, what's the difference between, between Sidney Bunch and a uh, Butch McCord and Junior Gillum? Is there, did you, could you sit say, well, Gillum will be the one to make it and these other two won't, or could you tell? Uh,
1: when when Gillum first started playing with the Negro, he was a right-hand hitter it seemed like everything he hit, he'd pop it up. So a the fellow that had a coach with Eli Giant by the name of George Scales, he started getting to switch hit. That's when he became a good ball player. But he could always always feel, he played third base movement and didn't have a strong arm, but you just bat out all the time. So he became a good hitter when he started switch hitting. And uh, it seemed like his field improved too, he could feel. Cause the guys, when I went to San Domingo, Fellas were talking about had a stadium, Shane, playing in Puerto Rico, and they were talking about him and winning They ball. He said, unbelievable, unbelievable the kind, of, the kind of second base he played over there. He couldn't, couldn't, hardly hit nothing by him. Another thing about Gilliam, he never was a dissipator. He never, he didn't do no drinking, nothing like that. Yeah. Made the same thing, no, dis, no dissipation. He was a pretty good pool shooter. You come to the pool room down for you shoot pool lot. We were all pretty close in that time. During that time of the year they had the Bijou Theater. Where we all the ball players would during the winter time would go to the Bijw, see movies you know, in the votables. They'd be in the pool room, they'd come out, and they were also in the Bijou Theater. But I, well, I got a I got a picture of me and Gilliam and me and Gayam, Cotton Wright, Doc Dennis, uh, Grandpa Lyons. And Ron you Russell take the take the take the club. He had a bottle. We had a bottle set on the table. Somebody put that up out the pitcher. No, he never was Clean little. Yeah.
2: Then, what what's your overall thought about baseball and where it is now?
1: Ooh, yeah, she was out of playing now. <laughs> Ooh, and. It's unbelievable. You, see, unbelievable, you see a guy weigh 140 pounds, hit the ball 400 feet. Over the fence 400 feet, that's unbelievable. But they, they built the ballparks and the bats and the balls, people like go home runs. So like I said, it's not a, it's not a ball field now either. It's, uh, three 325, something like that on each line. Man, gosh, I'd like to have been playing something like that, all home runs. It's, it's changed so much. The fans want to see it, but I don't. I think, I think it should be some cutoff someplace. That, in you know, those kind of home runs in Lady County's records, part of a record, you know. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair. I don't. I don't. I don't want to just mention the black ball players all the time. But suppose Mickey Mantle hit those kind of ballparks. Gosh, he did 200 home runs. It's a Shame. It's changed, and every guy swing for the fence, you know, fences all the time. The very little bunny, the very little bunny. He the guys in our camp, and the guys hit fourth and fifth, they had to the bunch sometimes, sacrifice, but these guys can't even sacrifice now. The other guys hit fourth and fifth. Keep, it's changed a lot. Because well, I still love it though. You still watch it? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm missing the game today, <laughs> it now. Playing down. I <laughs> Might not be missing too much in that no. case. Well, Brady's, they got to improve. They got to. They got to rebuild. Give any thoughts about steroids? Yeah, oh, gosh, I never heard. Of, I never heard, heard of it traditionally. recently. I never heard anything like that. real heard of guys drinking alcohol, but alcohol just give me no strength for sure. Yeah. And yeah. not steroids. I suppose George Gibson he used steroids. to <laughs> Kill somebody.
2: <laughs> hmm. Was he a, was he a nice person or a tough person?
1: Well, I never was around him when I first when I first saw him. I played against him. When I, played, when I was in the Navy, he was playing Homestead See, They played they played at Old Griffith Stadium, and down the left field line the bleachers was four and ten feet. When I played when I played against him, he had one around right the bleachers four and ten feet. He was about he was about six two, weight, about two twenty two thirty, about two twenty, strong. Much, much stronger than me. Cause I had a, a good friend the lived here A Nashville, old ball player. See, he, he was the better hitter, zapper. he didn't hit the ball on my father's zapper. <laughs> but I believe he did, though. I think he was that great. He was, all the, he was one of the all-time
2: greats. Well, I'm, I'm about, I think we're about right to wrap it up. It's 3 o'clock, so okay. we thought we'd talk about that. But is there anything else I need to, that, that you'd like to say
1: no, that's about all, I guess. All right. Well, I,
2: we covered a good bit of ground. I appreciate your, your mm-hmm. willingness to do that. What's going on in all this?
1: Well,
3: there's several things that's going to happen to this. Um, they want to have the um, complete record of this remain at the archives permanently. Part of it will be mixed in with a uh, history of baseball in Nashville. Um, but the entire source material, unlike previous years, will be kept and um, made available for people that are researching various topics. Um, hence the questions about, um, you know, if, if somebody wanted to follow the line of how war interrupts people's lives. Yeah. Um, and and as, as he mentioned before, there are certain things that... Um, where you are and where you have grown up um, it just um, take it, you know, take it for granted because that's your perspective. I didn't know anything about. Um, I didn't think about somebody talking about the lack of air conditioning and and, and the lack of television and how that contributed to the interest in outdoor ballpark baseball and we have so many things now going on that the baseball attendance is
1: not central anymore. No, it sure isn't. It sure isn't. Are they going to break the ground for the ball field? Are they going to break the ground for the ball field? Are they going to break? break. Oh, I
2: believe
1: they are. I believe, yes. yes. Supposedly. <laughs> when? <They keep> it. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be dead pretty soon. Oh, you look good, though. Yeah, <laughs> you I ain't no I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I'm getting older and older. Two more years. Once the break ground, it's gonna take two more years or two years. Then. I hope not. What 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 was your birthday?
2: When were you born?
1: Four eighteen twenty four. Four eighteen.
2: No, four eighteen. Good Lord! I didn't think you that. Eighty two. What? Yeah. Two years younger than my mother. <laughs> four eighteen twenty
1: four. I think they ain't gonna be to die. <laughs> and that sound Sound ballpark is terrible. You know, to pay no ten dollar guy that's sitting in the seats. Yeah. We went, went out for this, uh, this caravan that came through. Right. We had to go through the business dressing room. Man, that's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. They should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> yeah. They should redo, redo, redo the dressing room, do something to it. How does it compare with the Vol's dressing room? Oh, what God. See, now, we, uh, all the black team, they had dressing, the business dressing room. Yeah. Good dressing, nice dressing room. This is, this is a terrible year. Huh. I know go little ball players, so I hate to come to Nashville. <laughs> God, you know, looking shower room, restroom. Gosh. Well, maybe, a, you know, maybe in a how couple long, of how years. Long, how long have you been in Nashville
2: then? I've been living here my whole life.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you ever go to the out that much? Yeah. Did, I you, to, did you go out there when the White house had the ball team? I went
2: to Sulfordale. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't gone to Greer Stadium much at
1: all. You Did you go out there when the White House had the farm team? Not so
2: much. I, I'm still, see, when I started coaching, it was, that's where we played our little league, our, our knot hole games. And yeah. I sort of was mad that they tore up my not-hole things. So. Well, uh, I know.
1: Boy, played the the White Sox came by to see me the other day. We became real close with him, Joe Hall. Remember him? Uh, I don't. That's when they won the championship. They had a big old boy playing first base named uh, Drew Denson. Okay. And Joe Hall was playing third base. And now he works for the White Sox now. But his home was in Paducah. Huh? He stopped by to see us. Friday, right. he's going back to see his mother. Now he's going back to, uh, he's living in Toledo, but he works for the White Sox. Okay. But they had a good team yeah. then. I, I don't know, there's something about it, just
2: seemed too hyped up. You know, they'd you have a the little it. mascot. And oh, I, yeah. I was just used to the balls, and you'd go watch the ball game. That's the only way
1: they're going to throw a crowd. You've got to
2: have a side attraction. I don't know, it's just, and all the, all the PA stuff, and I just found it annoying. No, and I'm I, not going, I don't care about going either. I'm a bit old-fashioned, I think I'm. I do not care, care about going out there at all. But I think tell you Bush, what, I, Bush got
1: a season ticket. Yeah. He buys a season ticket every year. But I'm
2: not going out there, no ball game. But I, the heyday for me was, was when Larry Munson was, I mean, I'd listen to every game. Larry Munson, that's a long time ago. You don't know about, got, about Larry Munson do you. Yeah, he's
1: heard out. Larry Munson left hand with Atlanta, didn't he? Yeah, well,
2: yeah. yeah, first year they had their team down there. No, he, he did was, now, no. He's a little, He's voice of the Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, I right, yeah. Yeah, he was a good announcer. If you ever listen to the—if you ever get—I don't know if you mess with the internet or not, but you can get on his website and click some of his descriptions, and it's like takes you right back
1: like— Yeah, he was a oh. good announcer. But they had one before him, when I was a kid named Herman Gazzard. So yeah, I remember he was, him. He was good, too. Yeah. They say, bizarre, undressed yeah. <laughs> he said, Herman Gazzard, undressed like He's pick up all his clothes up there. Herman Gazzard, and Larry Johnson took his place. That's when i was a kid. And I, I, I just uh, I, yeah. I, I
2: I'm stuck with you know my my world was Larry Munson, Fred Russell, Edgar Allen. Yeah. And all you know, just going to the games a few times a year, baseball cards. And did did you coach high school baseball? Too? I coached those, I coached the you know everything from nine up to fifteen at different times. What school? Just, just uh, not whole program, not whole baseball. Or not, 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 not no high school football. Not, not, not. Baseball. Had a lot of players that played, but uh, I, I sort of stopped at the at the at the junior level. Within some of them from West, um, I'm doing a, uh, I'm chronicling that all the way for Dot, 1954 West High, Jimmy French, Ralph Greenbaum thing also. Yeah. Um, that's something we're doing, but I'm, I'm just. Okay,
1: I okay, buddy, I got, a friend. I bet you know him. I can't think of his last name. Like Burn, Burn Munson? You know no, I don't remember that name. He coached at West
2: High Huh? years ago. Shapiro is the one I know. Who? Joe Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. He's 95. 95, still living. Still smoking and drinking like a fish. Drinking? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be, be 95. Well, he's Apparently that's what's keeping him alive. But uh, he's, he was something else. But I, I, you know, I, I know a lot of these old... I did a... I did a book on Tommy Owen at NBA. Yeah, I remember him. Uh and I did know on Jimmy Gentry, who regular two. Of them. is is just gone back into. He's 80 and he's just gone back into coaching again because <laughs> his wife died. Yeah, I remember him. He wanted something to do. So I I I, I he was my he was a teacher of mine in high school, so I knew him. But I'm sure how, how old are you? I'm i I'm about to be fifty-nine. Good
1: God, a little baby. I hope that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't feel like a baby. You know, I think about it. I tell, I tell this story all the time. You know, years ago, Black said the Bleachers, the Vanderbilt Games. So we had one, one guy, the Book of Wolf. He's going to all the games out of Vanderbilt. This Saturday, he went to the game to see Vanderbilt play in Alabama, Alabama Power. He had a big old son, an American son of a named Vaughn Manchin. You ever heard of him? One had yeah. one eye. Vandal had a big son who was good enough, good also named Charlotte Hoover, remember him, remember Anyway, we up, went out to see the football game and Vandal beat
0: Alabama,
1: wasn't very close. And so he came back to all the guys hang out with Bill's joint down on 8th Avenue. And uh, he got told us about the game. I said, well, where was Vaughn Manchin, somebody said, "Well, was Vaughn He's everywhere, but we have to call the wool boy. He's calling the wool boy mouth.